So Rosh Hashanah is, uh, has many different meanings, of course. Uh, it's the Jewish New Year, right? That's what we know. We remember that on uh, Shabbat. We talked about that. Uh, but its real import for us, its real meaning for us, uh, is uh, repentance. And as I said at the beginning of uh, our service this evening, this is the first part of a, a three-part journey, right? Uh, tonight we begin. Tonight and tomorrow we begin with repentance. We talk about repentance and what that means, and then uh, we'll have ten days. Uh, in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for that self-examination, uh, for praying as we talked about from Psalm 139 on Shabbat, search me, Lord, you know, show me uh, my ways so that I can indeed repent and, and walk in, in your ways. And uh, tomorrow morning, we'll actually talk about the fruits of repentance, which has a lot to do with what we do over the next, uh, over the next uh, 10 days. Tonight we want to talk just a little bit about the fact of repentance and, and, uh, and what it means and, and uh, how, we, how we go about doing that and what the scripture has to say uh, about it as well, a little bit of, of, uh, of our uh, tradition. You know, uh, in many synagogues above the Aron HaKodesh, the Ark, there is a, uh, there is a saying, Right? Some of the synagogues here in town uh, have it. It's really ornate. And when you go in, it's like you can see it right away. And I know that some of you are familiar with this. Uh, know before whom you stand. Know before whom you stand. Uh, and what a great theme that is when you enter a sanctuary that uh, we're not here, as, as we always say, of course, you know, we're not here just to sing songs like singing around the campfire kind of thing, you know, and we're not just here to um, uh, decide whether the sermon gets thumbs up or, you know, uh, neutral or uh, thumbs down or uh, uh, whether it's too warm, too cold, or we're having a good time or we're meeting up with friends, you know, know before whom you stand. We come and we indeed uh, stand before God. And that's a very important uh, acknowledgement uh, on Rosh Hashanah because it should drive us to repentance. You know, it's a great motivator for us. And that's why in a little while when we blow the shofar, the shofar is a motivator for us to do what we're supposed to do uh, on this uh, holiday. It's not just blow the shofar for the sake of blowing the shofar and to rejoice in the Lord and, and a good time was had by all kind of thing. No, uh, we remember the kingship of God. We remember that he is the sovereign. We remember before whom we stand. But in addition, when we blow the shofar, we remember God's covenant faithfulness. We remember uh, his loyal love, his loving kindness uh, toward us. And then thirdly, we also remember his ever-presence with us and the hope that we have in him. Uh, and so we'll, we will do that uh, this evening, blow the shofar. But the goal for all of us is not simply to listen to the blowing the shofar, right? But that it's a wake-up call for us. And we'll have to decide whether we press the snooze button, right? Sleep through it or 
indeed, wake up, right? Uh, and remember these great truths about God and therefore respond, indeed, in the right way. It reminds me of when we talk about responding in the right way, not that Isaiah heard uh, the uh, shofar blow. I don't know, maybe he did. The text doesn't tell us. But in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, we know that uh, he saw the Lord, right? It says at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, the words that are right over here uh, on our banner, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the fountains of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. So that's what he saw. And that's, that's kind of like what we, that's kind of like the idea of blowing the shofar, you know, the glory of God, seeing the glory of God. Now, if we didn't know what comes after that, we might say, well, how would I respond to that? Wow! Well, you know how I'd respond to that, right? Right. I would make sure that I got the picture, right? And then I would post it on Facebook, right, immediately. Uh, and I would say, wow, that was unbelievable. Praise the Lord. Oh, wow. That's, you know, be here tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. You know, that would be fantastic. That is not exactly how uh, Isaiah responded, is it? You know, there is an author. Uh, he recently passed away, I believe. R.C. Sproul. Anybody ever hear R.C. Sproul? Right? Great guy to read, except about Israel and things of that nature. But about the holiness of God, very good. Okay? And uh, he uh, talks about this, this passage. And uh, he uses a Yiddish phrase. I would never have expected him to do this. But he uses a Yiddish phrase to describe uh, uh, Isaiah's reaction. And what does he say? Oy vey! Right? Oy vey! Woe is me! Which is what that means. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So his response is really like a confession and repentance, you see. Uh, and we see, then the passage goes on to say, One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So he confessed his sin, he was reconciled to God, he repented, and he was reconciled uh, uh, to God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Hineni, send me. And so he repented, he was reconciled, and then he did not just say, hey, that was really great, right? He says, I'm ready to go. Send me. See? Uh, and so uh, what a great picture for us of how this is supposed to play out. Later on, when we hear the shofar sound, 
may we respond with, oh, woe is me. Now, we might say that's kind of a, it's kind of a downer, you know? It's kind of a negative, but it really isn't. It is coming to terms with who we are and recognizing that before God, we know that he's going to receive us. For we read about repenting all over the Bible, right? When we repent, we're acknowledging our failure. We're acknowledging, we could say, our moral and ethical failure. In the Bible, there are many words that are used to describe uh, repentance. Repent, return, go back, revert, change mind, restore, withdraw from sinful places, thoughts, and, and people. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, uh, you could go and look in a lexicon at the word shuv and teshuvah, and it is uh, really fascinating how so many different uh, uh, terms are used. And, and it's replete throughout the scriptures. Uh, and I'm not going to take the time to do a word study on it all the way through, but let's just say that when we read in Leviticus and some in Numbers about sacrifices and about what they're supposed to do, we, we read about, for example, uh, returning uh, what we've taken from someone. That is the same word as repent, to return. To restore what's been lost uh, is the word uh, uh, repent. To return, to turn, to go back. All of those uh, terms uh, are, are used. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, just like where we had our uh, Torah portion this past week, the word is used a number of different times. And we're going to turn there again because of that fact that it's used in a number of different ways, there in uh, Isaiah or in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, chapter uh, thirty. Okay, so we're going to begin right at the beginning of the chapter. It says, "So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind." Okay. By the way, when it says "call them to mind," that's actually also the word uh, uh, "shuv." When you basically come to your senses, when you return to right thinking, when you get clarity of what's really right, that, that is also the word uh, teshuvah, okay? In all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return, there it is again, shuv, return. See, it's used so many different ways. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore, there it is again, same word, will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you are outcasts or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possess and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Echoes of the Shema, of course, in order that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and who persecuted you. And you, sh and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and the offspring of your body and the offspring of your cattle 
and all the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you, again, to shuv, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart uh, and, uh, and soul. And so, uh, quite clearly, uh, when we talk about uh, repentance, when we talk about returning, uh, what we're saying is uh, that it means going back to the place either where we had once been or if we can't even remember ever being there or if it was such a long time ago, you know, it's kind of a vague memory where we have been, where we were supposed to be all this time. And as a result of it, we're on the Derech Adonai and the way of the Lord and there is satisfaction and there is meaning and there is purpose and there is blessing. And so repenting is certainly uh, a very good thing, even though the process of it is not always pretty uh, or easy. When Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, he wasn't smiling and praising God and singing it in song. It's painful to repent. But it yields tremendous fruit of righteousness. It yields tremendous fruit. For many of us, the problem is, I'm afraid of repenting. I don't want to repent. I don't want to uh, have any kind of really real self-examination because it may be too painful. But remember that this is the doorway of freedom. This is the doorway of, uh, of a blessing, indeed, from God and of the satisfaction of serving him in the way that God originally intended uh, for us uh, to do so. Now, of course, we read about repentance and returning all the way through the Bible. The word repent, uh, it's kind of interesting, just an observation in your English Bible. In the Hebrew uh, scriptures, in the, um, the Tanakh, you don't read too much that this word teshuv is, is translated repent. You read it sometimes, but not a lot. Mostly in the prophets, that kind of makes sense. But returning and obeying together is usually how it is used. But we do read about repenting. We read uh, in some very, uh, I think, kind of interesting places. In Lamentations 3.40, it says, Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but examining and probing does not sound... Uh, does not sound very good, right? Right. Uh, and, but that is what it takes for us to return to the Lord. We read in Hosea chapter 14, some beautiful verses, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. In Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 15, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. It's a great verse. In quietness and trust is your strength. But then it says, but you were not willing. In Ezekiel chapter 18, and this is kind of an interesting place, Ezekiel. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Ezekiel, but uh, he was, we would call him the embedded prophet. You know, when uh, these days, when there's some kind of televised uh, war, 
uh, that, uh, that we're in, that uh, journalists uh, love uh, to be on the scene, right? And they're embedded with the soldiers and they're reporting, you know, from the road and all that. Well, Ezekiel was, uh, went into captivity, went, went from Jerusalem to Babylon uh, with everybody else. Uh, and a lot of what he wrote was in Babylon. We may not uh, recognize that. And he was writing to people who thought all was lost, that we blew it. You know, that, that we're out of the land, it's over, it's curtains, it's, you know, roll the credits, we're done, we're finished. And in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, he, he reminds the people uh, that if they repent, they will indeed be restored. Not only that, but there's other passages in his chapter 36 and 37 uh, that are spectacular. But, but in uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 32... He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Therefore, repent and live. God desires that we return to him. He never gives up on us. See, the great thing about repentance is there's always, the concept of repentance, there's always hope. God is constantly saying to Israel, uh, and to us, come back. I can still hear this song, uh, the song from Lamb, right? Come back, come back, O Israel, right? Come back, come back. God desires to restore. And you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at that, uh, those uh, 10 verses or so in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's very interesting that when, that when the word shuv is used of us, it's return, you know. Uh, return, come back. When it's used of God, almost every time, it's restore. When the Bible says, if you repent, I will restore you, it's the same word. Isn't that interesting? It's the same word. So God restores. He gives us, he brings us back to that. When we go back to him, we could say he comes back to us. He restores the blessing when we repent. Repentance is not the same thing as working real hard for God. Repentance is not the same thing as memorizing 100 verses of Bible verse, 100 verses of the Bible. Repentance isn't a, a volunteering for everything that there is to do. Repentance isn't jumping through hoops. No. Repentance is returning from the heart to God, recognizing where we have gone astray and recognizing that God welcomes us with open arms, and truly returning to him. It's an act of our will, a desire to come back to God. In the New Covenant, we just have a continuation of this. In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter uh, 3, the first word out of the mouth of Yohanan, of John, the Baptist, baptizer, oops. In uh, Matthew, chapter 3, in... Uh, Right there in verse 2, what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeshua, in chapter 4, in verse 17, when it says Yeshua began to preach, what's the first thing that he says? Repent, return, come back, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know it's written in Greek and it means to change the mind, but 
the meaning of it was the same meaning as it was in the uh, Tanakh, which, which uh, in the, from the lips of Yeshua was, return, come back, obey, because the consummation was at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But this continues throughout the scriptures in the Gospel of Luke. A great passage is in the 13th chapter there of the Gospel of Luke. When uh, the disciples of Yeshua ask some real practical questions. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered uh, this fate? Of course, you know, he knew their hearts. They were wondering, why did that happen to them? He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent... You will, likewise, uh, you will likewise perish. In the book of Acts, clearly, in the preaching of the good news, we read in uh, Acts chapter 2, the very famous verse uh, 38, Peter said to them, Repent, let each of you be immersed in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach for the forgiveness of your sins, and you rece shall receive the gift of the Holy, Holy Spirit. So just as John preached, just as Yeshua preached, so Peter preaches, repent, repent, return, return. In chapter 3, in verse 19, we read, Repent therefore and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Right? Repent over and over again. And then in a very interesting place, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 26, in verses 19 and 20, before King Agrippa, Paul says, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. But notice what he says. But kept declaring both to those in Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. That tells us something, that repentance was not just an idea to embrace in your head, but that it has legs on it, that to return, in a sense, literally means return, uh, uh, come back, leave the place of sinfulness, stop doing that thing. You know, it's not just, it's a good thought, but it has legs on it. And it's true that it can be a process but uh, let us never get the idea that it's good enough to just simply say, you know, uh, I, I believe, to say, uh, I believe. But it is accompanied by words. So repenting means coming back, as from all these passages, so repenting means coming back to God with every bit of us, with our whole heart, Right? Uh, whatever it takes, no holes barred, returning to God, knowing that he will indeed receive you, right? The prodigal son, doesn't that just come to mind? 
In fact, not only the prodigal son, but in Luke chapter 15, it's a great, great passage. Luke 15. It says, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, which is an interesting thought just in and of itself. Anyway. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable. So there's three parables in this chapter. The most famous one is the one that we know, the, you know, the son who comes home, right? But it's not the only one. I'll just read the first one here. And you may be familiar with it. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. You'll notice he's not rolling his eyes, saying, Man, you're not going to believe how long it took me to find this stinking sheep. Right? He is happy. He is rejoicing. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Isn't that great? We need to understand that in many different ways, of course. We need to understand that as like one of priorities. The Lord rejoices more. Are you ready for this? The Lord rejoices more when someone returns than if we have the greatest egg there ever was. It's important for us to have that kind of priority. To rejoice when people return. And to be just all over it, right? And to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to help people stay returned, right? Just as much as repent, the repenting one, the one who repents, has to be all in and do whatever it takes to stay in. Because it's hard to repent. And depending on where we've been, it can be hard to stay repentant. And I think we all know that to a certain degree. But that's not the only one. Then we have the, co- the lost coin. So we have the lost sheep. Now we have the lost coin. Same deal, right? The lost coin. Rejoicing over the lost coin. In verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then you have the prodigal son. We're not going to read it. You know it. The father is waiting for the son to come back. He doesn't give up. He doesn't say, sorry, you made that choice, but he receives him back, right? That is how God feels about repentance. What God wants from us is honesty. What God wants from us is that we're all in on the repentance. And then he receives us back. He cleans us up, usually with the arms and the legs of brothers and sisters in the Lord that love us. And then there's this great testimony and this great blessing. And so even though it is difficult, it is great. And to God, it is primary. And he loves it. You say, what does God love? What is it that God really, really loves? He loves repentance. He loves it when we come back. He understands that we're frail, right? He understands that we are but dust. Read once again Psalm 139. Remember we read that on Shabbat? He understands all that. 
He understands our penchant to go the wrong way. And he has ultimate patience. He waits for us to return. May we be motivated to do so. So repenting means coming back to God with our whole heart. It means hating the sin and the evil that we have been involved in. Not just saying, it'd be better for me not to be there, but to despise evil. That's agreeing with God. That's what confessing is. Agreeing with God about it. God despises sin. He despises whatever we've been in that takes us away from him. There's no, that is a black and white issue right there. It means physically removing ourselves from situations that cause us harm. So that's kind of interesting. That, in, that is literally repenting, coming home, coming back. That is literally re- repenting. It means changing the way we live or the way we think about a, a situation. It means recognizing that we are guilty of sinful practice, taking personal responsibility for what we do and not blaming situations or other people or that I did it. Being sold out for change, doing whatever it takes to change, to return. And remember this, the fact that the concept of repentance is so pervasive in the scriptures means that God believes in us. Isn't that amazing? He believes in change. He believes in transformation. That we are not stuck wherever we've been, even if we've been there a really long time. We may think that. And that's a great barrier to repentance. No hope. I'm done. I can't. Let us not deny the power of God and the desire of God in coming back to him. What are some of the barriers? Well, the opposites of what we just said, right? Staying in the same situation. You know, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you are with bad people, there's a really good chance it's contagious and you're going to get it. It's just the way it is, okay? So that's a barrier to repentance. Thinking you can live in two worlds. You cannot love God and mammon, as Yeshua tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Thinking that I can control different aspects, you know, of I can do this, but then I can, like, I can put the brakes on for a season, but I enjoy this, or I like it, I can live in two worlds. You cannot live in two worlds and be a healthy person. That is not repenting. Another barrier is having been in the same situation for such a long time, that we don't know any other way. And that, you know, that is, we are all susceptible to that. That I'm used to living in a certain way, even if it is, and if it is not exactly the way God says, I'm used to living in it, right? I can remember uh, giving a series of messages on this very, this very topic many years ago, that not feeling comfortable anywhere, that I have one foot in what I'm used to, and then another foot in living in the light, living in the darkness, living in the light, that I'm, that I'm very unhappy wherever I live until we make the break and say, I'm all in. And again, that is a very hard thing to do because we get into patterns, patterns of living, patterns of thinking. It isn't always so overt. Sometimes it, it can just be, can be very subtle, a particular worldview, a particular way of thinking about myself. 
And I think that for many of us, we would never articulate it, but that we think, oh, well, you know, I've been a believer for a long time. I've been a Messiah follower for a long time. I've never experienced real transformation. This is just, I'm just going to live this mediocre life in the Lord. And that's that. That is not the good news. That is not what God says. When we truly repent, you know what is available? Life. And what does Yeshua say? Not just life, but abundant life that is not based on our bank account or where we live or whatever on on our situation, but based on our intimacy with God. But it takes walking through the gates of repentance. When I say whatever it takes, you know, all of us face temptation. So we all, and we all fall to a temptation now and then. I, I mean, it's, we do. So we're constantly in need of repenting. But, but you know, the good news is if we're really serious and we say I'm all in or whatever it takes, we will do whatever it takes. We will keep ourselves more than arm's length from the temptation, even if it means denying ourselves certain kinds of pleasures. That's what a temptation is by, by nature, right? How much are we willing to, uh, you know, how much are we willing to pay the price? What do we read in the Gospel of Luke? We won't take the time to read it. Time's of the essence, as we say. But, you know, uh, you have to count the costs. The cost of discipleship, as uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote an entire book about, right? Uh, it, it's costly to repent, but it yields tremendous fruit. And in Yeshua, yes, it is an act of the will, but in Yeshua, we are empowered to be convicted. We read in the Gospel of uh, John, in chapter 16, that the Ruach convicts the world of sin, right? He convicts us. He convicts us. And uh, just so that we don't uh, go away thinking, well, all those verses were about people coming to faith, I want us to turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, these folks are believers. They're the congregation at Corinth, and they had some problems. So Paul wrote them a letter. He actually wrote them several letters, not only two. He wrote them several letters, I believe, and they didn't like it because he was writing about their sinfulness and their need of repentance. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about the letter that he wrote that they didn't like. It says in verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Although I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. See? These are believers, sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to deliverance. But the sorrow of the world, or the conviction of the world, produces death. So important. First of all, Paul loved them so much that he confronted them with their sin. Remember Nathan and David, right? David 
sinned, but it was when he was confronted with it that he became convicted. Read Psalm 51, followed by Psalm 32, and uh, you see what was in his heart, okay? And so here, Paul confronted them with their sin and made them sorrowful, guilty, feeling guilty, but to the point of repentance. Guilt is like pain. You need pain to know there's something wrong, right? And so guilt is like the wrong inside of us. I feel guilty. I'm walking with the Lord. I feel guilty. I know the Lord, even though I've maybe straight away, I feel guilty. Uh-oh. Eh, eh, eh. You know, I need to turn around. I need to go back. Danger. Will Robinson, right? Okay. Danger, danger, right? And so we need to return. I just wanted to make sure you were awake. All right. And there, and there you go. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, but the guilt of the world, get this, the guilt of the world or false guilt or guilt placed upon us or guilt we place upon ourselves that might not be true. What does that lead to? Death. When we feel guilty as Messiah followers, it should drive us. We, if it's of God and we're convicted by the Ruach, it will drive us back to God. But if we are experiencing a false guilt that we're believing, maybe things that we're hearing in that little voice inside of us that might not be true, and that happens, by the way, more than you think. It leads you away from God. It leads you into the abyss. It leads you some people to do away with themselves, you see. But the conviction of God and empowerment of God leads us back to him because God loves, loves repentance. And so finally, what, does, what do we read in some of the letters of Paul? You know, that as we walk with the Lord, we need to have a different worldview, okay? As a repentant worldview, what is a repentant worldview? What are we supposed to think when we repent? Well, in uh, just a couple of passages here in Colossians, uh, we read here in the third chapter, okay? If then you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above, where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, this is what repentant people do, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. For when Messiah, when Messiah, who is our life, we are identified in him, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So what are we supposed to do? Therefore, as a result of thinking that way, consider your body parts as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry, because that's what it is, by the way, idolatry. You know that immorality is idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, because of, you've repented, see? But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, from your mouth, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That's repenting. And have put on the new self who is being renewed. It's a process. Being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of God, uh, the image of the one who created him. 
a renewal where there's no distinction between anybody and so on. You can read the rest of that. The point of it is, is that when we repent and when we return, he says, think of yourself this way. Do we fail? Yes, we fail. Yes, we're frail. We fail because we're frail. Okay? And so we have to repent again. And isn't it wonderful that God forgives us again? Doesn't mean we lose our salvation. We're not talking about that, you know, our eternal destiny. But we have to repent again. We have to confess our sins. And the Bible says that God will forgive us and he will cleanse us. And then uh, just the last one is in Romans chapter 6. Same idea. Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? I'm saved. It's okay. I'm not perfect, right? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? That is, it is not what happens when God does the open heart surgery on us. We begin the process of transformation. Even if we fail, we come back. And remember that. When you fail and you come back, the coming back is a telltale sign that you belong to him. The guilt that you experience is a telltale sign that you belong to him. God loves it when you repent. He loves to forgive. Or do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Messiah Yeshua have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through immersion into death in order that as Messiah was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness uh, of life. And then a little farther down, uh, he says in verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves of obedience, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Actually, go back a few verses uh, to where in verse 12, where he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should, be, go, you should obey its lusts. And again, do not go on presenting your body parts to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, and as your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And law means not under legalism, but under grace. Not under, it's not talking about the Torah, is what I'm trying to say, right? Uh, those are not opposites. Uh, very important. But the point of that is for us that. If we have an attitude of repentance, we're going to live a certain way or desire to live a certain way. And you will see, especially if you have been involved in something for, you know, you've never really turned the corner. And boy, lots of us have, have that attitude, you know, about a lot of different things. That the fact is the longer, the longer we continue to walk on the road of righteousness, the road of repentance, the more comfortable we will become in it. It's not a case that I will never be, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't feel comfortable among Messiah followers. I don't feel comfortable in walking in an old way. You will see that as you continue to walk with the Lord, there is joy, there is peace, there is satisfaction. Indeed. And that's what reconciliation and restoration are all about. But in order to have that reconciliation and that restoration, we must first walk through the gates of repentance. And so on Rosh Hashanah, this gives us an opportunity for all of us uh, as a community to have this experience. While, while we should repent all the time, we have this communal experience of repenting, of turning back to God, letting God search us, know us, 
Let him examine us and probe us that we may repent and that, may, that God may bring reconciliation to us and restoration uh, uh, to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray, Lord, that uh, we just might be stirred to think about our own lives, to think about where we're at in life, and that we might repent, return, be restored. Lord, God, I pray specifically for us if we are in the throes of conviction, in the throes of the process of repentance. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring deliverance. Yes, indeed, because you love repentance. Lord, I pray that we would be able to understand at the very depths of our being the love you have for us when we return to you. Lord, it's hard to understand because it's supernatural. You don't demand a pound of flesh from us. You don't make us work it off. In fact, we don't owe you anything. It's free. Lord, I pray that we don't get the idea that when we repent, that we have to now jump through hoops, like to keep you happy now. No, Lord, I pray, God, that we would experience your love, Lord, via the Ruach, via the Holy Spirit, Lord, and that our motivation would be like your motivation, which is love, that we experience your love when you receive us back, and that love is so overpowering that we serve you because of that love. Lord, I I can't help but think of the passage here We exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were helpless at the right time, Messiah died for the ungodly. Lord, I pray, God, that we would really be bathed in your love and know it. And that that is our motivator, love for living godly, for treating other people well, all of it, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, for us as a community, as a congregation, that uh, indeed this would be a a movement within us, Lord, of repentance, of of the priorities of godliness, of being on the derech Adonai, Lord, and that as a result, we might see the fruit, the fruits of repentance in in our community, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. Lord, we do ask you and we pray that as we hear the sound of the shofar in a few moments, Lord, that it would indeed pierce our heart and drive us back to you. We pray in Messiah's name.